Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is where I'm going to try and be today. As you turn to the 90th Psalm, you'll find that it's a Psalm of Moses. He wrote a few of these, likely during near the end of his life or gaining near that time, just based on some things that are said inside of it. My Bible doesn't title it this way. Uh, a lot of the subtitles are added later, so these aren't necessarily inspired by the Scriptures. But one uh, version that I looked at said, uh, God's eternity and man's transitoriness. So this idea that God is eternal and man is only here temporary. And I just couldn't get over this thought this entire week. And uh, I think this chapter captures it well. So I'm going to read Psalms 90. I'll read the whole thing and we'll take a look at it today. It reads as follows. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, and ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. And as a watch in the night, thou carriest them away with the flood. They are as a sheep in the morning. I'm sorry, they are as a sleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and then groweth up, and in the evening it is cut down and withers. For we are consumed by thine anger, and thine wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before us, our secret sins in light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they are fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let us repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto the servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish it thou. And so we see here a very beautiful passage that is desiring to put us in reminder of two main things as we look at this passage. First is the fact that God is forever something that we can't hardly understand because we are made within time and we live within time. We cannot even begin to really comprehend what it is like to be outside of time. Any more than a fish can understand what it's like to not be in water or we can understand what it's like not to have air. We don't know how to measure these things. And what we are being put into remembrance of is that we must try to remember that because God is all-powerful and almighty and has all time, and because we are not, that our lives will be gone in an instant. 
And we are also put into remembrance of the sin and the burden that we carry because we are born into sin. We continue to sin and thus are separated from God and the importance of returning to him. And so I want to look back again, and we're just going to kind of follow down a few verses at a time as we go and recall the important things that this passage is teaching us. And so back at the beginning, it says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, you'll notice here, just a reminder, this was written by Moses, again, very likely end of his life or near the end of his life. Where had they been dwelling for some 30 to 40 years? Well, in the desert. Where was he before that? But in the camp of his father-in-law. And before that, he was in the house of Pharaoh. And before that, he was in the house of his actual mother for just a short time. And so you could say Moses is a man without a home. And yet Moses identifies very clearly that we have been dwelling in the place of the Lord our entire generation. And the reality is this, brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord, then you are dwelling in his house and have dwelled in his house since you've come to know him. The Lord is our refuge, our sanctuary, our stability, our place of safety. He is where we dwell, and we can look back and think about, and I've mentioned this before, if you recall, and go back to the book of Exodus and follow the story of the children as they came out of um, Egypt and as they uh, turned against the will of God, but God still provided for them. He gave them a pillar of fire to guide them during the night, to give them light and a way, and clouds during the day to guide them and to give them cover. They were never without God, and so neither are we. Thousands of years later, God is still providing for us. He is still wanting us to be his dwelling. We are still looking to him to be our refuge and our sanctuary. And I wonder how often we look for other things. How often in our lives are we looking for God's providence in the earthly things? How often are we praying over things that have no eternal value and only over things that last for a moment, as we'll see here in a minute, the grass And instead of dwelling in the presence of God and inside of his house, we seek after the things of this world. That makes us wonder what would happen if we truly believed this verse. What would happen if we truly applied this to our lives and realized that we are dwelling in the house of God? (coughs) Sorry. He goes on and says, Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return ye, the children of men. We are reminded here that God existed before the foundations of the world, that he made the world, and that he will exist after the world is no more. From everlasting to everlasting, this idea that there is infinity plus infinity equals, well, just more infinity, whatever that means, because we cannot understand this. But we are again to be put into memory of the fact that God is from the beginning, and before the beginning of time, and will exist at the end. And we, on the other hand, are just dust, made from the earth. And the only difference that strikes us between animals and everything else that we see is we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. But we are simply 
dust and will return to the earth from whence it was made. This is a lesson that we need to learn today. I was reminded very vividly this week how fragile that is. We are very insulated from death in our current culture. We don't see it very often. And when we do, we see it like we saw it yesterday. That's not entirely accurate. You know, it used to be not that many years ago that someone in your family or a relative or a friend would pass and you were there. You cleaned them up. You may have laid them out in your home for people to come by and visit. You were the one who dug the grave. During the same time period, we went out and we would have to butcher animals ourselves just to eat or hunt them just to survive. We understood in years gone past, and perhaps for all eternity, up until the last probably 75 to 100 years or so, exactly what death meant. And we are so far removed from it in our culture today that we have no idea. And I think it feeds into this idea that somehow we are immortal, and we are not by any stretch of the imagination. But because we're never around death, because we never see it, because we don't understand it, because we don't have to be responsible for taking the life of an animal so that we can live, and we don't have to worry about taking care of someone as they breathe their last, at least not very often, we lose tremendous sight in the fact that we are temporary in this life and that death will come for all of us. We can just ignore it and put it off like it's never going to happen. We can just go to the store and buy food like nothing had to die for us to do that. I think we would do well to be reminded more often that we return to dust very quickly. Verse 4, it says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. We could spend a lot of time looking at this verse. I remember when I was very young, someone came to the church, and um, he was kind of telling a few jokes, and he was basically pointing out that this whole thing, this whole thing we call the world, has only been going on for, you know, seven to ten days for God. Thousands of years, it's one day. And that's an interesting point when you start thinking about it, isn't it? We think, God, how long will you put up with us until you come back? And God said, it's only been about 10 days since I made everything. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but you get the point of what I'm trying to say here. It is almost impossible for us to understand this. So let's just take a thousand years ago was 1023. Vikings and all kinds of stuff. Countries you would never recognize and have never heard of were all over the map. People who lived and had brothers and sisters and moms and dads and relatives and strove to worship after God as we are doing today, and we know about none of them. But just a handful. Can you imagine a thousand years ago what it must have been like? It's so insignificant, it's like it was yesterday. Yes, it doesn't matter anymore, does it? Certainly won't matter next week. If you live until you're 80, it's 8% of a thousand years. 
That may sound like a lot. But 8% of one day is about two hours. So your life in this math, and this is not meant to be specific, is about two hours. What would you do if you knew you had two hours to live? You ever thought about that? It's not very much time. We ask this question sometimes and say, what if you only had tomorrow? Or what if you only had a week? You might say, well, I want to go see this, I want to do this. You had two hours to live, you ain't got a lot of time to go do anything. And yet the reality is, in our lives, when we look at all of this, when we understand what God is trying to teach us, it's not necessarily that we will or won't live to 80, or that we do or don't have a thousand years, or anything like that. It's the point is that life goes by very quick. And you could do the math and say we live about two hours. That's not very long. If a thousand years is like a day, doesn't that help you be in awe of God, the ancient of days, the eternal? What must he know that we can't even fathom? As smart as we think we are, as short as we live, and as much knowledge as we think we have, it pales in absolute comparison to what our Lord knows and does. It also makes you think about the troubles and the trials you go through, doesn't it? Sometimes it makes them easier. Realize these are all passing away too. It goes on in verse 5 and 6. <coughs> it says, Thou carriest them away with a the flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up in the morning, flourish, grows up in the evening, and is cut down and withereth. We're not even like a tree that lasts for a while. We're not even like a bush. We're just like a piece of grass is what we're trying to understand here. Inconsequential, grows up quick, it disappears. In verse 7 and 8, we're reminded of something very important. Not only do we have a very short amount of time that we are in this world, but we're also plagued by sin. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. We are sinful people. None of us are actually good people in that sense. We can do some good things, but we are not good. And the reality is, what God knows is everything we try to do in secret. Everything we would never say in front of someone who's important to us. Everything you'd never say in front of your mom, for example. Everything you'd never say inside of a church building. Everything you'd never want someone else to see that you're looking at or thinking about. We're reading, we're listening to. God knows all of it. Everything that we do in secret that He tells us not to do, He knows. Another translation reads it this way Our secret sins, which we try to conceal, you have placed in the revealing light of your presence. Lots of parallels there with light. You instantly turn the light on, and instantly the dark is gone. Truth does that to us. Brothers and sisters, we can't hide from God. <coughs> and nothing we do will allow us to escape from the wrath of an almighty God except for His Savior, Jesus Christ.
verse 9 is kind of peculiar. It says, For our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. As you are beginning to remember from me, if you're reading King James, that last phrase is in italics, which means it isn't quite the way it was written, but translated that way or added to help it make sense. Another translation reads it this way, We have finished our years like a whimpered sigh or a painful moan. This idea that at the very end of life, all that we can do is go, <sighs> You ever feel like that now some days? We toil and work and strive and fight and argue and sweat and do all of this to get through life. And at the end, what's it worth? <sighs> a sigh. Not only is it that quick, it's that pointless. All that we do is that pointless. It doesn't matter. We moan and it's over. I don't think we appreciate this. I will tell you, I don't appreciate this like I should. And then he goes on in verse 10, and I've already kind of talked about this. It said, the days of our years are three score and ten, or you can add that up. That's the old English way of saying 70 to 80 years is all we get. Now, again, this isn't meant to be literal. It's not that if you live past 80, you're doing amazing. We know quite a few people who live past 80. Some people here today are past 80. The point is not so much the years. The point is the context for the brevity of of human life. It's very, very short. Again, in the context of a thousand years is like a day. We are insignificant. I went after the uh, funeral yesterday, and I went and sat um, on a little hilltop. There's a cemetery there. It's a different, different cemetery. <laughs> Got to love the preacher who leaves one cemetery and goes to another one and hangs out for a while, right? But that's what I did. Um, and it's beautiful. There's a nice view. And as I sat up there and thought about things and prayed and, and read over some, some different things and, and whatnot, I wondered how many people have sat in the same spot and looked over this it's got to be a lot. I don't know any of them. How many people were buried behind me? It was a larger cemetery. A lot. And most of them are not really remembered, are they? We place so much importance on the things that we think are important only to realize they're truly not. It says, who knows the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Now remember, <clears throat> Moses was leading the children of Israel out. They wandered through the desert. I didn't say wandered. They purposely went a direction of the desert for, I don't know, seven to nine or ten days when they get to the edge of the promised land. Ready to go in after seeing all that God had in his power and his might brought them out and were ready to help them to cross over and to take over the enemy. And they would not believe. And so God cursed them to wander in the wilderness 40 years until everyone who was of age had passed away. Think about how many funerals Moses went to. There's probably, what, a million people are there that over the course of 40 years passed away. It's a lot of people. Moses knew exactly what it was like to suffer because of uh, disobedience. 
He knew exactly what the power of God's anger was, and he had to live with it every single day, even though he and Joshua and Caleb were not guilty of that sin. They had to forbear and be with all the people who were cursed to die, never to enter the promised land. And Moses himself didn't get to do it either. The point is this, that they were living their lives, and he understood, as I said, perhaps more than anyone, we should not make God angry with our activities while we're here. Now that can sound kind of scary, can't it? But here's the reality. God's already angry with your state of being. We get this all mixed up. We think God is love. Well, He is love. But God is also just. And because God is just, and because we have violated everything He's told us not to do, and have failed to do everything He's told us to do, He is just to punish us in the next life, and sometimes even in this life. And boy, if we take that more seriously, we'd live a little bit different, wouldn't we? We'd do like Brother John sang about. There's some places we wouldn't go. There's other places we would. If we took seriously what God has told us about who He is. But again, our modern society has made us think that we can get away with all these things. It's not so. So there's an important change here in verse 12. Moses has given us this psalm inspired by the Lord God. He has told us about how frail we are, how short the time is, how full of sin and deserving of punishment, what a struggle things are in life. And so he's given us all of this and comes to this point in verse 12 with this little word, so. So what? Again, going back to when I was in a young man, remember someone coming to our church and telling us to always write down at the bottom of every sermon, so what? So what? It's good practice. I think I've mentioned it before. Because if you don't get done with the sermon or get done reading uh, a passage and ask yourself, so what does this mean for my life? You've done absolutely nothing to improve your station. And so here Moses is saying, given all of this, understanding that we're like grass, understanding that a thousand years is like an evening to the Lord, understanding that we are consumed by God's anger, and rightfully so because we are sinful, so, or therefore, now do this. So what does he say? So, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. This is the key right here. All of this adds up to so we are to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. To number our days. We really to sit here and count days? It'd be really hard because we don't know how many we have, do we? I don't know how many I have left. I have no idea. Getting easier to calculate for me. <coughs> the number I have left is definitely getting smaller. But I don't know how many I have. And so the lesson here is not so much necessarily calculate the days, but to consider and to be aware of just how few there are. Just how few there are. And why would we do that? So that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, or another translation says, so that we may cultivate and bring to a heart of wisdom. 
this idea that we should understand just how few days we have, just how small that we have, so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. The center of our thoughts, our uh, moral character, our heart, everything that we are, we should apply this to wisdom. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of God. He who lacks wisdom, ask, is what the scripture says, and he will give liberally. Brothers and sisters, there is something we should do with our time, and that is realize, A, we don't have much of it. B, we are struggling with sin, which is contrary to how God wants us to live. And then we should search out with our hearts, as in the, the, who we are, our innermost being, our spirit, unto the giver of all wisdom and wisdom itself, and that is God. We should apply our hearts and everything inside of us to loving God and doing what He wants us to do. That is the solution. That is the goal. That is something that will last forever. Rather than chase after all the things that this world wants to offer us, we should instead seek wisdom. Verse 13 then goes on and says, Return, O Lord, how long, and let it, um, let it repent thee concerning thy servants. And I want you to notice something here. Who returns? It's the Lord. All of this is spiritual. None of this is in our own flesh. It's not about me trying to keep a log and see how many good things I can do. It's about returning to the Lord spiritually. And it's about the Lord coming to me spiritually. As I shared yesterday for those who were at um, the funeral, something that Brother Mike talked about over and over again was this desire. And he told me in the hospital, he's told me other times, that this is a two-way street. God already knows all about us. It's our job to learn about him. Does God know who you are? Well, in the sense that he created you, yes, absolutely. Here's the question. Do you know him? Does he know you personally? Have you let him know you? Because until you've had your life changed, until, as the scripture says, your heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. Here we go back to this idea of the heart, the seat in the center of who we are. Until God has changed you, you do not really know him in the truest sense and he doesn't know you in the way that he wants to. God is the one who comes to us. And when he comes, we must respond And we need to make our lives something that are worth living for God. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. God's mercy is the only thing that really satisfies us. Again, this idea we toil, we work, we sweat, we strive, we battle all day long, all week long for these things that the world says that we have to have or have to do. And the reality is the only satisfaction we can find is in God. Only God can satisfy us. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Many times we'll want to skip those first two verses and go to this one. Just make us glad, make us happy, make us enjoy life. But God is trying to remind us that life's hard. We go out with a sigh. Life's not fair. Life's not always fun or enjoyable. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. 
But the joy that we should find to make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us in the years wherein we see evil. How does he make us glad? Well, it's through the satisfaction that only comes from knowing his grace. I want to read verse 17 and we'll come to a conclusion. This is beautifully written. I looked at a couple different translations and it was written exactly the same. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hand upon us. Yea, the work of our hand establish thou it. The Lord orders the steps of a righteous man, it says in another part of the scriptures. I can make all the plans I want to. I can think I'm going to do all the things I want to. The scripture says that we wake up and we say, I'm going to go here and and buy this today and go there and do this. And the reality is God orders the steps of all of us. It was not in my plan to ever stand behind a pulpit, nor was it in my plan to ever pastor, nor was it in my plan to come here. But in God's glorious wisdom, in the beauty of the Lord our God upon us, established the work of our hands. Do you want to know what you're supposed to do with your life? Ask God. Let Him establish what it is that you're supposed to do. Because if you don't, you will spend your entire life, and then in your very final days, which is only going to be a few short seconds in reality, you will wonder what you wasted your life doing. And trust me, I am saying that to myself. We need God to direct our work. We need to have a sense of meaning to our lives. Again, I've mentioned this before. This is what our society is taking away from everyone, that there's any such thing as truth, that there's any such thing as meaning. If there is no bad, then there can be no good. And if good's relative, then you just choose whatever you want to. But people aren't satisfied with that. They know that's not right somehow deep inside. But we've also missed the point that many of us who know the difference between right or wrong do not allow God to take our hands to guide us and say, do this for me. Do this with me. Go here and I will be with you. And instead we kick and say, no, 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 I want to do this. We need the Lord to confirm the work of our hands, and that is certainly a challenge for us. So I'm going to go against what I just said a minute ago. I did the math. Well, I had the computer do the math for me. I said to number our days. So let's assume I get to 80. I have 38 years, 6 months, and 14 days. Kind of sounds like a lot in a way, doesn't it? See how this number strikes you. 462 months and 14 days. 14,078 days. I've already spent 15,144 of them. And I went by like that. What have I accomplished? And I don't mean that to 
denigrate myself. I'm not here looking for you to come up and say, oh, you're okay, you've accomplished all. That's not what I'm after. I'm asking the legitimate question that we all should ask the question, what have we accomplished? And then we should say, with whatever days we have left, what does God want to guide my hand to do with what little time I have remaining? Over and over again, yesterday in the last few days, everyone talked about Brother Mike, in the same phrase, he was brutally honest. If you didn't want to know something, don't ask him, because he was going to tell you the way that it was. But you know, he always did it out of love. Sometimes humor, but always love. So let me be brutally honest with you. Some of you don't have 14,000 days. Some of you may not have 2,000 days. Some of us might be surprised to know we have far less days than we think we do. Mike woke up about three weeks ago expecting to go have some oral surgery and never physically came home. That was very unexpected. And so I want all of us to sit for just a minute with that weight and understand what the scriptures are trying and pleading to tell us. To teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I do not know what the Lord is calling you to do. I do not know how he is asking you to spend your life. I barely know from day to day what I'm supposed to do. And I certainly don't know for you. Other than to say this one thing. If you have never submitted to him for the first time, I know that's what he wants first. He demands, he requires, he expects for you to come before him, having been convicted of your sins, to humbly confess them and to seek salvation for the first time. And then he expects, demands and deserves us to be set on a path after to follow after him, doing and giving and working in the ways that he desires all the days of our life so there are not wasted. And so if you have never come to know him, then today is the day that you need to do that. And if you came to know him, whether it's been recently or a long time ago, today is the day that we question, do you have 14,000 days? What if you only have 2,000? What if you have 200? What if you only have two? Because the reality is we don't know, but we know it's short. We know that God has work for us to do. We know that the only thing that lasts is spiritual. And we ought to be about our Father's business. Let's have a hymn, a time to reflect, a time I really want you to stop and consider just how many days that you may have left. And in response to that, what you should do, how you should live how you should seek after him, how you should help other people, how you should live into the lives of, the other, of others. Whatever it is that God places on your heart, ask that you consider.